At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Watchdogs. Welcome to the North American Waterfowler podcast. This is episode number four. I hope you liked the last one. I'm having so much fun releasing these podcasts and some of them on Patreon, some of them here publicly for you guys. I'm just having the best time. I am just loving it. I'm just loving it. So I appreciate you tuning in and listening to me. The main portion of this podcast today is going to be about history of concealment. I'm going to go through all of the forms of concealment that I have tried using in my 30 plus years of waterfowl hunting. I'm going to rate them pros and cons, and I'm going to give each one a one out of whatever uh, five stars, or I'm going to five out of five would be the best. One out of five would be the worst. I'm going to rate them. I'm going to break these down for you in depth. This is my personal opinion. If you want, if you want to engage in the conversation about these topics you're going to need to go to patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting and like i said in some of the other episodes a portion of these podcasts are going to be here on all of the major outlets um the one you're listening to right now and then a portion of them are going to be on patreon i'm doing that to boost up the content that i'm giving to the people over there so if you like the podcast you want to support what i'm doing Feel free to go to patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting and join up there for more North American waterfowler podcast content and a lot of a lot of other cool stuff, too. So before we get into the main beef of the podcast, I want to talk about what's been going on lately in my hunting life because it's been a desert. It's been an unusual, unusual stretch for me. So um, I had... In the last nine hunts, I have had two of the cooler hunts of my entire life, and then I've had 
uh, seven skunks. And seven skunks out of nine do not come very often. This is a rare, rare run of ineptitude. And I don't really feel like, I don't feel like I was doing anything wrong, maybe made some poor decisions about where to go, what to do, those types of things. But it was just kind of circumstance. But what compounded this, the negativity of these skunks is that my buddy Matt Voshi has been here during this time. So Matt Voshi, if you don't know who he is, and I, I'm pronouncing it wrong, Vachi, Vachi, Matt Vachi. If you don't know who he is, he won the Patreon hunt giveaway season number one. And he came and him and his friend came and stayed here in Kansas with me. We had two hunts. One of them was just an unbelievable hunt. Absolutely just unbelievable. And the other one was mediocre. But it was, So he decided he was going to come back this year. And I got to know him so well, he actually stayed in my house. So he came and hunted four hunts um, the first round. I think three or four hunts the first round in which he shot one duck. And then he came back with his daughter and stayed here at my house again. He stayed for six days. We went four days in a row. The, the funny thing is this. He was supposed to arrive on, I think it was Monday, and we were going to hunt Tuesday. Or maybe it was Sunday, Monday. Anyway, and I was scouting. Okay, it was the 26th, right? So I scouted all day the 26th with my dad. And at the end of the day, I've scouted all day. Now, the conditions were this. Everything was completely frozen. We had been dealing with sub-zero degree temperatures for four or five days in a row. Everything was frozen. All the reservoirs, all the rivers I looked at. Now, as I started checking out some of the bigger rivers, I was starting to find a few holes. So Fumble Mitz and I, we were going all around. We were looking at, we had a progress, scouting progression. And as the day went on, it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And then right at the end of the day, the last place we were checking, I found a ton of both geese and ducks. I mean, a ton of them. And... I was, I was able to get permission. You had to, on this river, you have to cross private to get into the river. And then once you're in the river, it's a navigable waterway and you can do whatever you want to do. And so I was able to access permission from a farmer to cross the land. And it just so happened, I got a call from Matt. He was supposed to arrive on the night of the 26th. He was involved in that Southwest airline where they delayed, I don't know how many planes they canceled. I mean, they did it for days. And so his plane was canceled on the 26th, so he couldn't hunt the 27th. And I'm sitting here on a pile of birds. And if you have never seen any of my videos of hunting the river, they are rare and special. It's very, very difficult to find the birds on, on this river it's very, very difficult to get to the birds on the river. And they only get to the river in masses when everything is frozen. You can't travel the river in a boat because most of it's frozen. And then about every half mile to a mile, you have a hole. And some holes hold more birds than other. And so finding situations where the river is going to be good is a very difficult task. Very difficult task. I'd say I've been filming FDH eight seasons now. And we have hunted the river... Six times and hunted the river and had good hunts about six times. I think we've hunted the river like eight. It just doesn't, it's hard to capture a situation where it's safe, 
There are birds there, and you can get access, find them, and get to them. And at the end of that day, the 26th, boy, I mean, it was loaded up. Now, I very, very much wanted to be like, okay, Matt can't hunt until the 28th, so I'm going to hold this for him. But I made the decision to hunt and not hold this spot for him because on the 27th, it was supposed to greatly warm up. So you're going from, I think that the 26th wasn't quite as cold, but it was below freezing the whole day. And then the 27th, it was going to get up to 50. We had had snow and this field I had to cross. It was, my fear was one, that this field was going to be saturated with moisture from the snow and we wouldn't be able to get even into the river if we waited to the 28th because it was going to be so muddy and saturated. And number two, once things start um, thawing out, the river thaws fast and the birds change their momentum. So I'm sitting there with the decision. Do I hunt this place on the 27th and just be like, you know, I'm sorry, Matt and your daughter, I just had to do it. Or do I hold it and just pray that I'm going to be able to hunt it on the 28th? And I made the decision to hunt it because, because of those reasons I said. It was such a good situation. I didn't know if it would hold till the 28th. And so I just decided I got to get in and get on this because it was just too many variables not to. Looking back, maybe I made the wrong decision. I don't, I don't know. I'd say... Probably I made the right decision. I I did go and scout it on the 28th. Matt was with me, actually. And there was a guy in there hunting as well. So I think I made the right decision to hunt it. But it, it was something that I was very, you know, unsure about what to do. But anyway, I don't know if you've seen this video or not. It's getting crazy number of views. But it was a, it was a big river ice hunt. Now, this river is very, very shallow. I mean, you can typically walk across the entire thing. So this is not a deep river. There is a decent current in it. It's not a deep river. Well, we had, we didn't shoot our limit. There was four of us, Jason, little Slayer, my friend, Steve, and myself. There was, and I think we ended up with 14 ducks and four geese. So we didn't, we didn't shoot our entire four man limit. But if you've ever hunted a Midwestern ice hole, whether it's on a marsh or on a river, they are the most special type of hunts in my heart to me that, that I can have. There's an environment that you feel on the river, big open river. And it's just very, very unique and very special. And that was my favorite hunt of the year. That was absolutely my very favorite hunt of the year. So he missed that day because his plane canceled. We hunted 28th, 29th, 30th, 31st. And we killed one bird on all of those days. And so that was his second trip. So on his first trip, he was, I think, three hunts, one bird. He killed one person himself. On his second trip, he was four hunts, and he didn't kill the bird that was killed. Actually, my son Elijah came on the last hunt, and he killed one. And it was such a difficult stretch of hunting. We worked, absolutely worked our, our butts off. We tried the river where we did a mile hiking on the river. We tried a field mallard hunt, and the night before... So on my scout on the 26th, I did find this field. It was, uh, we call them Weehaws, where they're walk-in hunting areas and they're public hunting, private land, but the private owner gives it up to the state to use for public hunting. And we had found this place and there was three guys in there. They had limited from 10 to, 12, to uh, 2 o'clock. They had shot their limit in mallards, three of them. And on um, that they were going to hunt it on the 27th as well. So we, on the night of, I think the 28th on the night, we found them in that field again. I mean, there was mallards all over the place 
And so we felt really, really good about our possibilities on the 29th, and the mouse just didn't show up. 30th, we went back and tried the river. 31st, the marshes were starting to thaw out, and I thought we were going to absolutely smash them. And we got out there. We worked our butt up. We butt off. We saw to open up an ice hole. And as soon as we opened up an ice hole and we got set, we had 75 to 100 mallards working us. Two or three of them dropped out, and I called the shot because I'm like, this is hunt number four on his trip, and he has not killed a bird. So I'm like, we've got two mallards in the decoys. I'm not going to wait and see what happens. We're going to get on. Well, we killed that one. My son Elijah killed it. But it was just ridiculous. The hunting was just absurd. And so I feel really, really bad for Matt and his daughter because, I mean, man, and his daughter was an absolute trooper. She hung in there. She went on all four days with this 14-year-old girl, tough as nails, never slowed us down. But, man, I don't know if he'll ever come back to back to Kansas or not because seven hunts, one bird. But uh, wrapping it around those, like I had two of my favorite, my two favorite hunts of the season. One, when that cold front hit, gold, hit, Golden Boy and I went out. It was negative four degrees. Wind chill of negative 35 to 40 because the wind was gusting up to 40 miles an hour. And I had my eye. It makes me feel so good when plans come together. Like, I do. I try so hard to understand how the area that I hunt, the areas that I hunt work. I scout them in the off season and I look and see what plants are growing up. I keep constant eye on the water um, tables and like rivers and lakes. How are they raising? Are they, are they um, lowering? How does that affect the birds? I keep notes. And so my goal is I, I, I try to, cause I, I, I can't scout as much as people who just have independent jobs or work at home or whatever. So I have to know the area. I have to know the area. I've got to know where the water is at so that when things happen, I know where to go without scouting. I can blind hunt them. And it's pretty productive. It really is. And this one spot, I had been waiting for, oh my gosh, six years. I caught this spot one time by accident. It's this small little creek. And the wind was just blowing like mad in this place. And we just happened to have get our boat in there. And there was mallards everywhere. And they were dropping out of the heavens. And this this river channel has huge high banks with trees on each side and huge high, huge high banks. So when the mallards come into this place, man, they're just like bowed up and it is beautiful. And I'm wondering, what what is it that's so beautiful about a mallard cupping in perfectly when you have high banks or trees? And I love it when it happens on a reservoir and I love it when it happens on a, on a marsh. But for some reason, I think it gets the birds more vertical and something about mallards coming down more vertical is just cooler. It's just, it's just visually a lot cooler for some reason. So this place is just amazing. These high banks, trees along us, when the mallards come in there, it is awesome. And throughout, that was like, oh shoot, 15 years ago, I had that hunt in there. And, and funny side story. Here's how important it is to stay tight-lipped about your public spots. So my dad at that time lived about three and a half hours away. His hunting buddy told my dad, my dad's hunting buddy, well, he didn't hunt my, he's a buddy. They didn't really hunt a lot, but they were just buddies. They trained dogs together. He told my dad about this guy who had pounded him at this spot that I didn't even know was legal to hunt. My dad tells me, and three days later, I'm in there killing ducks. 
And so you just have to keep in mind that when you tell people about things, because I'm sure he told my dad about it. It's like, well, that's clear over there. That's three and a half hours away from us. My buddy told me it's no big deal. So it goes from the guy smashes a limit, tells his friend who's three and a half hours away. His friend tells my dad who's three and a half hours away. My dad tells me and I'm in there killing Mallards three days later. And I've been hunting it ever since. So it's just, you know, the tree of information flowing is a lot more widespread. The branches reach out a lot farther than you think that they do. So be careful with that. But I was having problems because these, I would catch birds in this place and they would be there one day, gone the next. Like I've never seen before. You would have thousands in there and the next morning, boom, they'd be gone. I mean, completely gone. And this happened to us over the last, I don't know how many years, two or three times where we had them located, they were gone. And I find what I figured out is you have to have extremely high wind on the spot. What you want on this spot is really cold temperatures and really high wind. And so that had been my hypothesis for a while. And so I had been keeping an eye on it, keeping an eye on it. I mean, as far as the temperatures and, and I saw in the forecast that it was going to be absolutely perfect for this place. And so the temperatures dropped, the wind picked up, it was snowy. The night before I was able to go out and scout thousands of mallards, thousands of mallards in the area. And I, and, but this was actually the night before the big temperature drops. We had the high winds, but it was the night before the big temperature drop, but the birds were staged up. The marshes were frozen. The birds were right in the area. They were fielding in fields around this. And I knew that when that, that morning, that next day was the day. Well, that was my hypothesis. And so I told Golden Boy, let's hit it. And we did. And man, was it awesome. The only problem was if this video is on YouTube as well, it's my, just, I love, I love these two videos I'm talking about. And we got out there. It was going to be so cold. I didn't want to go in on the dark. I just didn't want to go in the dark. So we got there a little later. Well, we got there like a seven and eight, seven or eight. And we would have absolutely finished off our limit, but the, the ice was so into the cold was so intense that we couldn't get our limit before everything was locked up. I mean, the ice just shut it down. But until that, I think we were three, I think I shot five and Aiden shot four or something like that. We were three away from our limit, but it was just a magnificently wonderful hunt, but it just made me feel so good. It's like, okay, I figured this place out. I've been waiting for years. I've been watching the weather and perfect conditions and bam, there they are. So I got the place somewhat figured out. It's in my hip. It's in my back pocket. It's like, this is when this place is going to be good. But it also got me thinking that maybe there's maybe it's wind, but you don't have to have the cold temperatures. I don't know. Anyway, that was an amazing hunt. So that was wrapped around Tim Vashi's Tim, Matt Vashi's trip to Kansas. So that was a really, really long intro, but that's what's been happening on on my hunts lately. And so I had two of my favorite hunts of the year wrapped around all of these skunks. And it got really, really frustrating, especially because I Matt and his daughter were here from Maryland. And now you want them to be successful. We just weren't, but we had a great time. So I am going to get into the history of myself and my dad with concealment and my rating scale on all of the different types of concealment in just a moment.
Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So we started waterfowl hunting in 1990, 1991. My dad got a black lab, pointing lab, and I had been begging him to duck hunt for quite a while. When I was 13, I just, I wanted to go, I wanted to go, and he took me to the bottoms, and we did a teal hunt out there, and we didn't shoot anything. Now, at that time, we had been pheasant hunters, quail hunters, prairie chicken hunters, turkey hunters, not waterfowl. My dad had done a little bit of waterfowl hunting years before. But as far as my my stage of development, quail and pheasant, we'd hunt three or four times a year. Prairie chickens, we'd hunt about seven or eight times a year. And the way we hunted them was really unique. We didn't walk and flush them like you do a normal like grouse. Prairie chicken's a type of a grouse. We figured out that they were living up in the grass hills. And the grass hills there was a CRP program where the government was paying farmers to keep the hills in natural grass. And it was a wonderful program. And the prairie chickens would live up in those hills, but when all of the insects froze, they would fly out of the hills into the crop fields to eat. And so we would basically try to pass shoot them coming in. We would sit in the crop fields we thought they're coming into, and we'd try to get them flying into us. I've never heard of other people hunting them like this. I'm sure some people did, but that's the way we did it. And it was, it was really, really fun. And we had a lot of success. And what a fantastic bird the prairie chicken is. But anyway... So we, we, my dad got a pointing lab. Oh no, I was going to say there was, we went on that when I was 13, we went on that teal hunt out of the bottoms and there was something about the atmosphere of a duck hunt. We shot, we fired, we sky busted once. I'm pretty sure it was a sky bust (laughs) and that was it. But there was just something about waterfowl hunting that caught me that day and I didn't have to kill anything. It just captured me. And that night we got home and we went dove hunting, same night, same night we went on the teal hunt. We didn't do any good, so my dad's like, well, let's go dove hunting. You know, maybe we can get some shots off, and since we didn't do any well on the teal hunt. And we pull up, when we dove hunt, we typically hunt over water at ponds. And we got there, and there was three little green-winged teal in the ponds. So we jumped them and killed them. And that was my first duck I'd ever killed ever. But the, after that moment, duck hunting just stuck in my heart. But we didn't do it again until I was 18 or so, 19, I got really into high school sports, basketball in the fall. And so all hunting kind of took a little bit of a backseat. But we, right about the time I, my senior year, my freshman year of college, with my dad getting this black lab, we decided to invest in actual duck hunting. And that changed my hunting career forever. I mean, once I started doing it, it was like, what's up, one game? I don't know. And, I, and now that I'm getting older, I would actually like to dabble in some upland game again. But, And I probably will, hopefully will at some point. But that just changed my life forever. So 
at the beginning phases, the first few years, we didn't know what we were doing at all. The first duck hunt we went on, we tried to bring in some poles with some tarps on it and just put it in front of a canoe sitting out in the open. And so we really didn't have much of a clue what concealment we needed or how to conceal. And so from that phase up through kind of my college years, I did a lot of bucket squatting and bucket squatting is you got your bucket and your decoys and you're done and you walk in and you just find a place to sit on a bucket. And I remember at some places I would just go sit on dikes with a bucket and the conceal that kind of concealment is not very good. Not very good. So, but the best environment for bucket squatting, there is a time and a place for bucket squatting and I still do it. If you have a lot of trees where you're at, just sitting on a bucket is fine. Trees take a lot of your concealment problems away. Now concealment is probably the, the one of the weaknesses of most waterfowlers, including myself. It is so hard to be diligent to get hidden. And if you want to shoot a lot of mallards, you want to shoot them in your face. Concealment is, is the number one most important thing. And I would say, and I do this all the time, all the time I do this wrong. The first thing I change if the ducks are not doing what I want them to do is I change decoys. But the first thing you should be doing is making absolutely certain that you are completely concealed. But most of us, including myself, it's like, Hey, how about changing the decoys? I was on a hunt this year with Aiden and Jake from Chasing Green. And for about an hour and a half, all we did is tinker with the decoys. And finally, I think as Aiden was like, why don't we try moving back? We were on a marsh. We were sitting, we were bucket squatting, but we were sitting right up against trees. And a lot of times at the same pool, you can lean into a tree. If it's got a good overhead on it, you can lean in a tree and that's all you need. But this day, for whatever reason, it was not the case. I've shot tons of mallards out there bucket squatting up against a tree but it just didn't it just it wasn't working that day so Aiden's like why don't we just try moving back 10 yards we moved back 10 yards and immediately flocks that weren't decoying before it started decoying and we shot our limit but bucket squatting does have a time and a place and I would say bucket squatting the time and place for that is trees if you have trees some bucket squatting is okay now the pros of bucket squatting are number one it's easy to carry because there's just not much to bring in you bring a stool I used to use buckets, but I don't use buckets anymore. And I used to literally use a bucket where all my crap went inside of a bucket. And then I had my gun, my deco bag and a bucket. But now it's a, a marsh stool and a bag and typically a sled. I don't carry decoys anymore. But so the pros to bucket squatting is really, really easy to carry in. You have nothing to worry about. The cons are you are not hidden unless you have trees. You should never be never be bucking squatting unless you have trees or sometimes you can get away with it if you have a lot of cattails. I know a lot of guys that do it, but even even if you have really tall cattails, if you have weary mallards and you've got more than one, or, you might be able to get it with two guys and a dog. But it just depends on what level of what level of shots do you want to get? There are a lot of people that go sit in cattails and bucket squat like this and do okay. But I have been in those situations enough to know that you're not going to consistently pull the ducks in your face, just sitting in cattails. Because if they circle you a couple times, chances are they're going to see you. So I, I know that, like I said, a lot of people do it that way. Now, willows, 
if you have willows to hide in and bucket squat, it's not too bad. It can be okay. But the problem, the problem with willows and cattails when you're bucket squatting is that you still don't have anything over the top of your head. Now, if you get tall willows with, you know, little leaves and stuff, but you always have to be thinking, look up and what do you see? If you see clear blue sky straight over your head and these mallards are weary at all on that day, you're going to really, really struggle. So the cons are you really need trees if you're going to bucket squat. If, you're, if you don't have trees, you're going to have to try to put your decoys and your spinner a long ways away. I've seen people do this out at in prairie marshes. And what they will do, they'll put out a spinner and decoys, and they'll literally set their bucket 40 yards from the spinners. And when I've seen people do this, I only remember one time in my head that sticks out where I remember this happening, where the guy that was doing it, within 30 minutes, he had wounded two birds that kind of flew off a couple of yards and went down. It's just when you're starting your shooting at 40 yards, it is not not a good concealment plan. And so I said I was going to rate these out of five. So each one of these I'm going to do like five stars. I give bucket squatting a one star out of five. I just think unless you have trees, it's just not a viable option. And again, sometimes with cattails and so and so. But I, as far as the range of concealment options, to me, bucket squatting is one star. And I did lots and lots of bucket squatting through my college days. So when I rate these, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just trying to tell you what my experience led, 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 lends me to my conclusions. So if that's your type of hunting, please don't feel like um, I'm coming at you. I'm just, this is what I've gained from my year. So after my college years, my dad ran into this, this hunter and my, he taught my dad how to lay out boat hunt. And so our hunting then went into layouts, layout blinds. We bought layout blinds and we bought layout boats. And we started killing so many more mallards when we took that jump. Um, we first started with Karsten's puddler layouts, really, really small layouts, small. You could portage them light and we used those for three or four years and they, they did pretty good. I was pretty happy with them. We shot a lot of ducks with those. And I, but I was, as I got a dog, I realized those types of layouts didn't work, but even in the layout blinds, honestly, this is how I was really foolish. When I first got a layout blind, like a field one, I didn't even brush it. I thought that you could just, I saw the brushing straps, but remember at that time there wasn't like hunting videos and YouTube videos just weren't a presence. So any, like anything you didn't know, you just kept on not knowing. And so I got this mud colored layout blind and I would take it into ponds and I would just lay it on the edge and I didn't have it brushed at all. I didn't even think I was like, well, there's the straps there. I just used it like that. And actually I did not do all that bad, but I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing with it. But we, so we went through a long phase of just layout boat concealment and layout blind concealment was our number one way of brushing. I mean, number one way of being concealed. And that's an excellent, um, it's an excellent type of, type of ways to conceal. The pros of a layout boat or a layout, I'm sorry, yeah, layout boat or a layout blind is they're very, very low profile. 
I mean, when you are laying down, you're flat on the ground. They can be very light and carry in. Now, sometimes it can be heavy if your if your layout boat gets big enough, you're trying to drag it. But I have I have always tried to keep whichever ones we use light. So I had the the Carson's Puddler, then I bought one off Craigslist, and I had to travel. I had to take a day off work to go get this thing. I drove like five hours to go up and get it, and it was so light. I call it Old Green. It was so light. I could portage it. After that, we moved to the Ascend Kayak H12. So I, for me, I want to have light portable layout bloats because I want to portage them through the woods. If you don't want to portage through the woods or over dikes and stuff, then you can get some of the bigger ones. But that's for me. I want to keep it very, very light. So the the lightness can be a pro or it can be a con, the weight, depending on um where you're at and where you're hunting. They're very, very comfortable. Laying down in those and hunting is so much better than sitting on a stool for hours. I was out with some guys not too long ago and, and we had uh, a stand-up blind eight slash a frame and a layout boat. And after like four hours, they're getting all uncomfortable. I'm just laying in the boat. I'm loving life. So they're very, very comfortable. The cons are shooting and seeing birds flying when you're laying out is so much more difficult. The people that I know, including myself, when you start layout hunting, your shooting percentage just drops. It's just harder. The timing's harder. The shouldering it, shouldering it better is harder. When you're in a layout, when, when you're standing, you normally shoot off your, you know, you've got your front, your left foot front and your right foot back, and you're kind of standing over your knee a little bit. So your the top half of your torso is angled forward but when you're layout hunting it's it's more difficult to get that you're typically your torso is um an obtuse angle if that makes sense instead of uh so it's just it's just much much more difficult the shooting and seeing birds is much more difficult and if you're trying to film the filming is much more difficult as well Another con of layout boats, if you have one, you need to have a, and your friends don't have one, what are you going to do? So I personally always tried to have two so that if I was going to take someone, I had to take another one. So you can sometimes alienate yourself by having a layout boat because if you don't have one for everyone you want to hunt with or you at least don't have one extra, it just leaves a lot of people out. So that's definitely a con too. Another con with the layout boat slash blind is the whole raffia grass thing. Now I love raffia. I'm, I'm a big proponent of Joseph Stern. I've worked with them. Awesome company. I've got a bunch of their product. I will continue to use it. If you want a grass, you should absolutely be looking into Joseph Stern for your raffia needs. Absolutely. But it is a pain in the butt to do all that. And I found over time, raffia grass is not enough. We got to a point in our progression with waterfowl hunting where we had the layout boats and all we were using is raffia mats and after about half the season, they get all matted down and they lose some of their 3D effect. So not only do you have to have the raffia, you really, once you're on site, you've got a double brush to fluff it. And it, that just becomes a little bit of a hassle. All that stuff becomes a little bit of a hassle. But overall layout, blind slash boat hunting, I give it four out of five stars. It is still one of my very, if not my very favorite way to hunt. So I would definitely give layout Blind layout boats, four out of five stars as far as concealment goes. Also during that time, and this is the kind of then, this was kind of a hybrid from bucket squatting, is that th this soups up bucket squatting. So I gave bucket squatting a one at one star, but we've got 
military tarps with us with a with, they're not just like don't use the burlap map those are garbage they get so heavy when they're wet these are like little mesh nets with cord backing behind them and i will lay those out i get i don't remember how long it is and cut it into square sections and then tie joseph stern rafia on it even more and it, it stuffs into a little stuff sack and and with that you can build a blind where you're at so it's like bucket squatting plus actually building a blind on site with you using these tarps. And then we still have, I still bring these tarps with me a lot of times because these tarps add concealment to every one of these that you're trying to do. I would advise anyone to get a, a stuff sack with these burlap, not burlap with these marsh seats or whatever, or I'm sorry, had a phone distract me with these tarps that you can put Rafi on. Because if you're going to get to where you're at and you are going to try to build a blind, the thing that people I see over and over and over and over again, if you look at a blind that someone has made, look and see what they have on top of it and it's always almost nothing. Most blinds that people make when they go out and just try to build blinds are in front of them and it's like a donut. But if ducks are going to come over your head and inside that you got two guys, you got a dog, you got two blind bags, you got whatever else laying around, that is going to scare the ducks. And if you have these tarps with raffia tied on them and you can just lay it over the top of what you're doing. In fact, when we build our blinds, we build top as more of a priority than in front of us. But building a blind with tarps, so they're very, the pros, very little to carry. It's just they're light, they're easy to transport. The hide that you build out in the uh, out of stuff that you just find at your hunting location blends perfectly into the surroundings. And the cons are this can take a lot of time and effort. If you're constantly building a professional enough blind out of your surroundings, out of marsh, it's going to take a lot of time and effort. And it can also be very, very difficult to build these structures because you're just out there and you're trying to find whatever you, sometimes it's easy, but sometimes it's very, very difficult. And also not all states even allow you to build. You can build blinds in, in some states, but you can't actually like cut down limbs. You, you're not allowed to cut anything. Like here in Kansas, we can cut whatever we want. So building a blind while you're out there and using tarps, I've been giving that a 2.5 star rating. It's actually, it's not bad. It's not bad. If all you can do with your budget is be a bucket squatter, then absolutely get those tarps up, get some tarps and build your blind and use them overhead. It's really not bad. We have built some really, really good blinds with in, in that way before. So after um, this is actually within the last three or four years where the whole a frame slash stand up blind craze started and Jordan Fromer, you probably know who he is. He was working for a company called HTR and they were making a frames and he got me into him and he and I had, when I was on the duck on podcast, we had lots of conversations about a frames and I was absolutely did not believe that they could be as successful as Jordan was claiming them to be. I absolutely had zero I had zero confidence that they would be even close to as good as a layout blind or a layout boat. 
And over time, I was I was proved wrong. I was proved wrong on this. These blinds are so much better than I ever thought that they would be. We've used them in marshes. We've used them on dry land. We've used them on the edge of marshes. We've used them in thigh deep water. I mean, it's a they really, really, really work well. And the pros are they're comfortable. They're easy to see out of. They're great for hiding groups. And a lot of people believe, I don't know because I've never tried this, but a lot of people believe if you have two stand-up blinds together, fully brushed, they're actually better than one because it looks like a whole big bush system. So if you're gonna if you're gonna run groups, this is absolutely the way to go. If you want to hunt five, six, seven people, multiple A-frames is absolutely your best bet in doing that. It works in all situations. Now, the cons of it is they are very difficult to transport. And that's one thing we've had to really get creative with because on most of the time I use an A-frame, I want to use it in a marsh. I want to get in a marsh and use it in a marsh. But if you have to walk half a mile to get to the marsh, A-frames are heavy. You get those things all brushed up and they're heavy. It's a heavy item to move. So the, the portability of them is definitely a con. Also, the price can be a little bit of a con. I know the FA Sub X3 stand-up blind, which I'm using, Final Approach, it's a great, great blind, is $400. So that's obviously going to cost you more for that than it is for a couple tarps. So the price is a little bit of a con. And the brushing takes a lot of time. If you're going to brush that whole thing in in the marsh, it takes a lot of time, a lot of time, a lot of effort brushing. But overall, I definitely give that a four star. That I put that, gosh, I, I, I almost want to give the layout boat a four and a half star. I think I'm going to change it. Layout boat, I'll give four and a half star. And the A-frame, stand-up blind, I'll give four star. Because I still believe that if I'm with me and one other guy or two other guys, we're going to do a better job in layout boats than consistently than we are the stand-up line, but it's close. I, I can't even, I, there was one hunt down in Southeast Kansas. We went on and there were so many mallards and we had no place to hide. And we put this stand-up line on in the edge of a mark, like right out in the open, right out in the open. Now there was a ton of ducks, but we, we shot one away from our limit on mallards and that thing late season, wary ducks. All we had was that blind and it worked. So four star, four star. Now the last one I want to talk about has been a progression for me and we got this now. We've had it for two years. It's a formal boat blind, like a big boat boat blind. And the reason we got our boat blind is as Fumbles has gotten older, we want to keep him hunting as much as we can. And you cannot beat the ease and comfortability of a big boat blind. I mean, it's just so nice to drive your boat out there, throw up the walls or whatever, throw out the decoys and sit there in your boat. You can cook. It's just really, really comfortable type of hunting. And we wanted to keep Fumblemets hunting. And so we talked about it and we did put a, a big boat blind on, on our blind. Now, the pros of a big boat blind are that they are, you are very, very versatile in water. I mean, you can go anywhere you want. The great thing about it, if you have a marsh that's boat blind hunted, where most of the hunting is boats, you have way less chance of someone setting up close to you than walking hunters because you can go wherever you want. And so a boat blind, 
is very versatile in all water situations. You can move them all around, set up where you want. And like I said, it's really, really comfortable. The cons are it is brutally difficult to get fully, fully concealed. If you hunt an entire year in layout boats versus big boat blinds, the vast majority of the people that are doing this are going to shoot more mallard ducks in their face in a layout boat than in there on a boat blind. Now, there are some exceptions to this. If you want to shoot finishing in-your-face mallards in a boat blind, you have to go to the next level of concealment. See Phil Conkey. If you go up to some of the places on the Missouri River and you see their idea of what their boat blind looks like, it doesn't look like a blind. It looks like a huge, massive bush. Any boat blind that looks just absolutely like a blind with nothing natural on it, you're just not going to do as well over time. That and I'm not saying you can't be successful. If you're sitting there like, I've shot mallards out of my boat blind, and I shouldn't, yeah. There's going to be times where you get them in the pocket and you shoot them in the face of the boat blind. There absolutely it is. But it's going to be less often than some of these other methods. From my experience, if your boat blind looks like a boat blind, that's not where you want to be. It's got to look like a bush. And I've never gotten ours to that because we don't use it enough. We don't use it enough. I do have some top covering on ours, and ours is okay. But with wary mallards, I guarantee you, with the way our boat blind is set up right now, without any alterations to it, you're just not going to be able to get them in your face like you can with some of these other things. You just can't. So it's very hard to get concealed. Another con is the money. So you have the boat, the motor, the boat blind. That's a ton of money. That is a huge con. So the boat blind, I gave three out of five stars. So review, let's put a review from worst to best, in my opinion. Bucket squatting is a one star. And I don't even know. I'm starting to second guess some of these. Building a blind when you're there, having those tarps. I've got it at 2.5 stars, but I think I'm going to put that. I almost think that's better than a boat blind. I guess I'm going to put that. I'm going to change it. I had it at 2.5 stars, but I'm going to put that at 3.5 stars. Because if you have those tarps and you have other things around, you can make an awesome blind. So I'm going to change that to 3.5. So, okay. So bucket squatting is one star. Boat blind is three stars. Building your own blind with tops, with tarps, with lots of raffia on it. You can make it look natural. I'll put that 3.5 stars. A-frame or stand-up blind, four stars, and layout boat, layout blinds, I put as four and a half stars. Now, I know that there are absolutely people that believe, especially with field hunting, and I'm not I'm not much into field hunting, so just take that off the, the plate, because I know there's a lot of people that think in a field you're better off with your stand-ups and A-frames than you are laying out. So take field, this is water hunting. This is marshes, rivers, reservoirs. Don't include field hunting on, on this list because I just don't have enough experience on it. Now, ideally, you're able to hunt all of these different ways. And luckily, my dad and I have been doing this long enough and we've been sharing. We've got the ability to do every one of these. We've got our tarps ready. We've got our layout boats and layout blinds ready. We've got a stand up the final approach stand up line ready. We've got a boat line ready. So ideally, ideally you're going to be in a situation at some point in your life 
where you can hunt to any environment and be concealed in any environment, no matter what. Now that's takes a little bit of an investment and a little bit of time to get there. But I know when Matt Vashi was here with us every single night, we were putting away equipment, getting different equipment, putting away equipment, getting different, equipment, getting these kind of decoys, getting this type of blind set up. So ideally with duck hunting, I think that the goal is to be as versatile as possible so that you can hunt any single type of location, any, any, any challenge that you arise, you can, you have got the gear to take that on. And so that's just my opinion. If you want to talk about this, patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. There's other podcasts over there. North American waterfowler podcast. Other ones over there you can listen to other content. So go and get signed up and join us over there and we can talk more about this. I would love to hear what your opinion is. And please make sure if you're listening to this that you go to that rating. We're brand new. We're just starting, trying to build an audience. So if you could hit that, do that rating and give us a five star, throw in a little comment there or whatever you think it is. I'd appreciate that. So concealment, guys, is a lifelong battle. It's a lifelong battle. And you just have to stay we got to stay consistent with it, find ways to improve, be versatile. But it is a big, big factor. The number one factor, whether you're going to shoot ducks, whether you shoot mallards, for sure. So that's all I've got for you guys today. Thank you again for joining me. And I will have more content out really quick. So keep checking in. This is the North American Waterfowler. 